I'm Joss, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim the bookshelf and read the world. Today, I'm talking to Zakia Delila Harris about her latest book, The Other Black Girl, which is out now from Atria Books. You can find a complete transcript of this episode on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So I got my start in the book world at a very young age when I was a little kid reading mysteries and elementary school thrillers. And I was beyond excited for The Other Black Girl when I heard about it because there are so few thrillers that I found as a young child and even making my way into the book world in 2015 that were written by black women and other authors of color. Uh, The other black girl, like Zakia talks about in our interview today, is about Nella, who works at Wagner Books, and she is one of the only black people that work in her building and the only black person that works at Wagner in the position that she's in. Um, There's another woman who comes in, Hazel, who is another black woman, and Nella has a whole lot of feelings about this, and then the book kind of spirals from there. It absolutely delivered on every single note and point that I was hoping. And and in our interview today, Zakia and I talked about the different power structures that exist at Wagner Books, which is this publishing house that they both work at, um, and how the white higher-ups in powerful positions put this pressure and different microaggressions on both Nella and Hazel, and how they interact with one another and how those dynamics play into the thriller portion of the book. Um, Again, talking about the mysterious portion, there is also these notes that Nella starts to receive in almost kind of like a pretty little liar's manner from an anonymous source that are really very terrifying and adds a whole nother level of terror to that aspect of the book. It is so incredibly propulsive, and as someone who enjoys that incredibly page-turning quality, I really could not put this book down. And once I reached maybe about the 50 or 60% point, and there is this kind of genre twist, I was absolutely hooked and could not stop reading, and I don't think you will be able to either. During our conversation, Zakia and I also talked about her own experience being an editorial assistant and then moving up to being an assistant editor for maybe about half a year in publishing um, and how that influenced her own writing and moving into the writing sphere. We also discussed different relationship dynamics of Nella's, such as her best friend Malika, who is another black woman, as well as her partner Owen, who is a white man, and how those relationship dynamics play into the plot and her character development, as well as the different locations in the book, such as different parts of New York State, the city of Boston, the state of Connecticut, um, and also a character who is originally from the Dominican Republic. Um, And of course, I obviously wanted to talk to her about the structure of her book, which includes four parts, multiple perspectives, a plot twist, a genre twist. I was so here for it. And we had such an amazing and in-depth conversation about all of this. Um, But before I guess we get into that, I should let you know a little bit more about Zakia. So Zakia Delila Harris spent nearly three years in editorial at Knopf and Doubleday before leaving to write her debut novel, The Other Black Girl. And prior to working in publishing, Zakia received her MFA in creative writing from the New School. Her essays and book reviews have appeared in Cosmopolitan, Guernica, and The Rumpus, and she lives in Brooklyn. With all that being said, I am so delighted to have Zakia Delila Harris here on the Reading Women podcast. And without further ado, here is our conversation. Hi. 
Hi, Zakia. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Reading Women podcast. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to chat with you today. We are so excited to have you here. Uh, Congratulations on the release of The Other Black Girl. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a a whirlwind of wonderful surprises these last few months. I am so, so glad to hear that and also so excited to read your book. Honestly, it was one of my most anticipated releases and I was so happy to have a copy in my hands. Um, I was just wondering if you could give our listeners a brief synopsis of your book. Yeah, absolutely. So the book mostly follows a young woman named Nella Rogers. Um, She has been the only Black person working at Wagner Books, a very prestigious um, and many might say stuffy uh, publishing house in the heart of Manhattan in New York City. Um, And since she's been the only Black person there, she, you know, has to put deal with a lot of microaggressions from her white coworkers, um, has to deal with speaking for all of the black people on the planet um, until Hazel, another young black woman shows up in the office. And Nella thinks, okay, we have we have a lot in common. We can maybe form a sisterhood, talk about black, black hair, black music, all of those things. But um, that does not happen necessarily. I won't get too much into it. But um, over the course of the novel, we see strange things happening at work to Nella. And she starts to wonder about Hazel's true intentions at Wagner. Um, and also um, unfolding alongside Nella's story are the stories of three other black women who are all also tied to the world of publishing. Um, And all four of these women um, are bound to this very uh, sinister, dark secret that has implications for Black people all over the world. (laughs) My gosh, love to hear it. Um, This has so many elements that I absolutely need in a book. This was definitely a big, a big need for me this year. Um, I also heard that you have experience and background in publishing, and there was a very faded story about how this came about in, in the women's restroom. So I was just curious. Uh, number one, <laughs> yes. what is your experience and background in publishing, and, and how did you move into writing, and, and how did this come about? Yeah, yeah. So I worked in book publishing for uh, two and a half, three years, um, and enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer, but also as I got a little older, I got really interested in editing. I did my MFA at the New School in nonfiction writing, so I'd gotten really used to talking about writing and literature and all those kinds of things. Um, So when I got the job in publishing, I was super excited because it's super hard to get in uh, through those doors. Um, and so I enjoyed a lot of parts of it, but of course, uh, like Nella, uh, I was one of very few, in my case, not the only black person, but the only black woman, only black full-time, um, person working in editorial at the time. So the moment you, you mentioned, uh, the bathroom, um, at this point when I had this encounter, I had been working in publishing for a little more than two years, and I was starting to know that this wasn't for me um, because I did want to pursue my writing career. And uh, that idea really solidified in me when I was washing my hands in the bathroom and another Black woman came out of the bathroom stall and started washing her hands as well. And I saw her and thought, oh my God, where are you? Where are you coming from? Like, I I know all of the Black people in within like the next 
two floors up and down, you know, um, and I have this moment where, you know, I thought maybe we could have some kind of conversation. Like we're both in this space. How cool is that? Um, but nothing happens. Um, I am kind of shy, but I do think I was like giving off some signals. <laughs> um, and, um, I went back to my desk and, and thought about that interaction or lack of an interaction. And, um, was like, oh, of course, you know, I, I wanted this because I've been the only one for so long. Um, and I often tune that part out of me because it's, it's a lot to think about that every single day. Um, but I did uh, go back to my desk and I started writing chapter one in which Nella is sitting in her cubicle, smelling these smells. Um, I wrote that sitting in my cubicle, um, I think maybe even on my like workplace stationery now that I think about it. <laughs> I love the story so much. I feel like there are always memes and graphics that are like the best ideas come to us in the shower when we're doing our shower thinking. <laughs> I'm so glad yes. that there was this restroom <laughs> thinking for you and, and also the, the faded meeting of, of this other black woman that works in your field. <laughs> I know I was it's funny too because I wonder like what if we had had a conversation like would I've still written this book like what if I hadn't had to pee you know <laughs> just like that like back to the future kind of like <laughs> thread of of thinking um but yeah and and it really just having that moment um of being with this other black woman in the bathroom and thinking about community but then also kind of my own anxieties um of like does she want to be a part like does she want to have this conversation right now does she want to do this those are all things that that went into Nella and Hazel's um dynamic in the book oh my gosh I see so much of that you know in some of Nella's thought processes and obviously we can get more into that later but just think you know your book could have been even more meta than it already is had you started talking <laughs> to her in the bathroom <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I love it uh, speaking of which uh kind of just in the writing process how did you navigate I guess that super meta aspect of, I guess, first working in publishing, now being a writer, being published, and then writing about working in publishing. How does that work for you? <laughs> it is, it is, um, it's so weird. Like, it's all just so weird um, <laughs> thinking about it, how meta it really is. Because, I mean, I had written this book before the year we had last year, too. And then when all of the things were happening of, you know, me trying to, figure out how I was going to edit my book during like a world, <laughs> the world just combusting, um, watching the news, of course, seeing what happened to Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, and then trying to be creative. It reminded me a lot of Nella trying to, um, you know, process the news, this, the police shootings, and then go to work and, and show up with a smile. Um, and it, it was really interesting to, to navigate that and then have conversations about that. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping it's ultimately helpful <laughs> for me processing all of it. Um, and I also have a therapist, I should say now. <laughs> so <laughs> really figuring that out too, because I'm, I'm not used to being a public person. Uh, that was not part of um, my plan necessarily, although I guess that is what comes from being an author, but it's not something I'd thought about as much. And now that I'm on the other side, it's, it is something I'm mindful of and want to make sure that I, I am taking care of myself. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I feel like we see this a lot 
in the book with Nella, you know, there's this frustration underneath maybe the entire thing where she's trying to show up and, and be the editorial assistant to Vera um, and all the authors there and being amenable and agreeable while also trying to make radical change in her workplace. And it really feels like such an uphill battle being a black editorial assistant in mostly white space. And that frustration is so palpable. Um, what are a few defining moments in the book that kind of encapsulate this for you? Oh, I mean, the one with, I won't give away too many spoilers, but the scene with Colin. Oh, yes, um, Colin. <laughs> in which, <laughs> for listeners, I'll just say Nella has to navigate, uh, and this happens pretty early on, um, Nella has to navigate a very uncomfortable conversation with uh, one of her white authors who has written a Black character that, for Nella, does not ring true. And she has to figure out how to tell them. Um, and her boss, uh, and, and this um, should say also this author is like a best-selling keeps the lights on author at the place where she works. So there are all of these stakes of her having to navigate that and feeling like she doesn't want to come off as the, you know, angry black woman, the black woman who's too sensitive. Um, but then also, wants to keep her integrity intact and doesn't want to be that black person that, you know, Twitter is decrying for letting this slip by. <laughs> um, so, so that's one moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, a couple other, in other instances happen throughout the book uh, that are not as blatant, that are more subtle um, microaggressions of, of having her name be uh, uh, gotten wrong um, or of you know, being mistaken for someone else. All of those things um, I feel like are are the these kind of um, little microaggressions and that actually build up and cause so much frustration and her trying to just be um, and be good at her job, um, but also wanting to speak up. And there's just a lot to balance there. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging talent, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, and it's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. The thing I love most about Mubi is how they give me access to films from around the world from the comfort of my own living room. I don't have a cinema that plays films like this around where I live, and I am able to watch films from Turkey, Germany, Mexico, Japan, just by logging into Mubi, and they're all there at my fingertips. So I'm in the US, but Mubi is available in 195 countries, so wherever you are, there's always going to be something for you. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash readingwomen. That's Mubi.com slash readingwomen for a whole month of great cinema for free. Thanks so much to Mubi for sponsoring this episode of Reading Women. And, you know, when, when Hazel comes in and it's that frustration becomes even larger when it seems like Hazel's making all these changes so quickly that Nella was working so hard to make, but really getting nowhere. What do you think that was like really like for Nella? Maybe obviously read the book, please, everyone. But like, if you could just sum <laughs> that up, what, what was that like for Nella? Just seeing all these changes maybe being made at a way quicker speed than she was experiencing herself. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's frustrating um, on one hand, especially because Nella's been there for so long and she's like, oh, I've been, I've been saying these things. I've been playing your game and your game, meaning she's been really careful and calculated about how she um, moves throughout Wagner, how she responds to the microaggressions, um, thinking that she was kind of endearing herself to them and uh, being like the she doesn't say this, but the good black person, whatever that means, but being okay and, and going with the flow is such a big part of her. So for Hazel to come in and suddenly be this whole other kind of blackness, because I, I should also say that like, I was really um, uh, intentional about the ways that I depicted their kinds of blackness, because I do think that um, in publishing and beyond publishing, uh, people are constantly kind of labeling different kinds of Black people and sometimes um, even commodifying certain kinds, depending on what's happening in the news. Um, and Hazel is this kind of branded, new, bold Blackness that um, Wagner Books is suddenly very interested in for various reasons. Um, and so for Nella to see them really falling for Hazel and having these kind of, you know, conversations that she's been trying to push for this entire time, she feels really frustrated. But then on top of that, she feels frustrated that she feels frustrated because why should it matter who uh, is causing these changes, right? Like if they're happening, that's great. If they're having more diversity meetings because Hazel is, has found a way to make that happen, that should be a good thing overall for the entire movement of having more diversity in publishing. Um, but it also still makes her feel away because she's kind of like, wait a minute, like what, am I chopped liver? Like, <laughs> I don't know if people say that anymore, but <laughs> that phrase, but <laughs> I feel like I just heard that saying, <laughs> this is so off topic, but I was watching the reunion of love is blind on Netflix the other day. And so I just started watching that last night. <laughs> so good. So much drama, but so I think good. someone said that when I was watching it in my 2am uh, nightly procrastination, <laughs> revenge procrastination episode, <laughs> not wanting to go to bed, but I definitely have heard that recently. <laughs> That's so funny. Wait, I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Gosh, please do. Now you're never going to forget it. It'll be the most memorable part of the show now. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Anyways, but what you were talking about really brings up maybe one of the quotes that really struck me. I just have a list of quotes here um, that were just really striking to me in the book. And uh, it says, we don't need to see each other as competition. We already have enough stress being two young black women in a crazy white environment. And I think that really reminds me of that juxtaposition that you brought up between, I guess, the quote unquote, good black person versus like this new other black person that's appeared at, at Wagner books. Um, and yeah, you know, definitely. I'm so curious the structure at Wagner, there is these powerful white folks. Like you said, a really good example is Colin, who is this keeps the lights on type of white man author. Um, how does that structure maybe contribute to these feelings that both Nella and, and Hazel are having coming in here? Yeah, I mean, I for sure that's such a good question, um, and I think that the answer to that is, is really also the answer to why these workplaces are not as diverse um, as they should be, um, and a lot of that comes from just this idea of 
well, first of all, like you should be lucky to be here, period, that kind of thing. Um, there's definitely an elitis- elitism um, within publishing in a lot of industries like it that have, you know, were built uh, during a certain time when other values um, were more important. Um, I think publishing was built on one kind of institution that doesn't necessarily give space to uh, people who think differently um, and not just black people. I think a lot of different kinds of thinkers too often get kind of moved to the wayside. I mean, depending on what imprint because every imprint's different. Um, but I definitely think there's this old fashionedness there. And then there's also this kind of, um, you know, lack of transparency between the people who are at the top um, and the people who are not at the top. Uh, there's this kind of uh, controlling of information um, and kind of this, uh, this kind of uh, control of what is valuable too. Um, I just remember working in publishing and even the ways in which conversations happened around books that we were getting submitted of, you know, who's the audience for this? These kind of questions that are important, but also depending on how they come about and who they're about, what kind of books they're about, they still are kind of setting the tone for how everyone else is going to respond because everyone kind of wants to align themselves oftentimes with the person person in charge. That's just natural for workplaces. So, so the, I think a lot of it has to do with all of those things. Um, and this, all of those things cause this lack of desire to want to speak up because Nella does feel like it's so hard to get where she is. She is the only one there. She has this responsibility to kind of, again, go with the flow in the hopes that she can bring someone else into the workplace, another person of color and make it more inclusive down the line. Um, so there is that, that pressure and that hope, um, but she can only do so much as an as an uh, entry level employee and an assistant. I think a scene that that really reminds me of is um, when Vera first sends the new manuscript to Hazel, and uh, Nella does not receive it in her inbox. So then Nella then has to try and figure out like number one, what is the meaning behind this, right? Like, why did Vera not send this to me? And why did she send it to Hazel? And also having to try and figure out, like, do I get my hands on this manuscript? Like, what does this mean for me as an editorial assistant and my standing at the company? And I just feel Mm -hmm. like that really reminded me of that particular scene and and, and really Mm. describing how much these white higher-ups really just kind of hold the keys to their job, which is really sad and and so complex, even just that thought process that she has to go through that maybe some of these white folks don't have to. Yeah, yeah. And there's also always this layer of, you know, am I being paranoid? I mean, this is something I think of (laughs) all the time in terms of like emails. I mean, I do think now that that's most of my communication with the world. Um, I've gotten a lot less like I can't overthink everything anymore like I used to. But I do remember working in publishing and 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 worrying like, oh, should I put an exclamation point here? Should I should I word this a certain way so it comes off a certain way? And there was this added layer of I am the black person here. I'm the only black person, um, black editorial assistant here. Um, I do need to kind of set this um, example for other people in the hopes that they will be able to get hired here as well. I mean, of course, that's not how it works, um, but I do feel that way. And I know a lot of other people of color feel that way as well when they are the only one. And then when they're not the only one, they're often being compared to that other person too. So it's, it's like, you can't, you just can't win. (laughs) 
you know, totally. And, and, you know, in the book, there's, there was this other scene where Hazel and Nella are kind of talking about code switching and obviously no spoilers behind that whole conversation, but, you know, and Nella, you know, did you find that that code switching and like you said, figuring out whether to put an exclamation mark here or a period here and obviously interlaced with race power, you know, who holds the keys to your job? Do you find that the inclination to do that and to be amenable and agreeable and I guess quote unquote nice, does that decrease at all as maybe she moved to being an editorial assistant to an assistant editor? For for myself or you know, either. <laughs> either. Either yeah. you or, or no. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I do think that with power comes or increased amount of power because it's still, um, I mean, I had been promoted to be an assistant editor from an editorial assistant, um, which for me personally was really cool because it meant that my bosses trusted me and, and wanted me to take on this role and knew I'd be able to speak with authors. And I think being trusted in, um, did, would have made me, I mean, I only stayed about, I think, six months after that, but I know it would have made me a little more confident in terms of my abilities, but I still think that imposter syndrome is present no matter what, um, even as you kind of get to the, the top tier, because I do still think the fact that there are so few people, um, in certain industries, um, I, I do feel like that would still be something that would show even the most powerful person at the top if they were a person of color at the top, that there's still so much work that needs to be done. And maybe they're just the exception, right? Which is something else that can also be a weight to carry around, like feeling like you are the, you're the only one who is able to get there. Um, so there must be something just really special about you. Um, and that kind of, me- that definitely messes with your head. <laughs> That definitely brings maybe another even layer into this. Like we talked about before, you know, there's kind of balancing being the desire to, as an editorial assistant, be the good black person at the company versus, you know, this other new black person at the company. And then also having to deal with like exceptionalism, right? Like, and and making your way to the top. I did want to switch gears a little bit here because I'm so curious about the addition of Nella's friend Malika, which is a very different sort of interaction that she has with another black woman in the book. Um, and their relationship dynamics and maybe how that differs from the workplace relationship dynamics with Hazel. Yeah, uh, yeah, Malika was, for, for me, a comedic relief and just like very, very fun and soothing to write because I mean, Nella's world at Wagner Books is stifling. It can be oppressive. It can be heavy. And so I had a lot of fun um, taking her out of the workplace and showing who she could be um, if she were allowed to be more comfortable with or if she were allowed to be herself um, and if she felt more comfortable being herself at Wagner. And that's also what Hazel kind of could be, right? Like she could have that relationship with Hazel and that's why she's so excited when Hazel shows up because she knows what it's like to have that black best friend who, you know, tells her to be, tells her to speak up, tells her to be strong, makes these jokes that are sometimes like, ooh, a little cringy. Like she is not shy and I really enjoyed getting to do that and show her, but also so I hope for readers, it's it's also a breath of fresh air. 
I feel like one of the things that uh, Nella and Malega talked about in particular that seemed, like you said, so comforting, soothing, even for me to read, like as a reader, not as not as the author, obviously. <laughs> but um, they, they shared like so many just little pop culture references, things that are maybe a little bit unspoken that don't have to be totally explained outright. And there is totally a comfort to their relationship in terms of that part of it. Yeah, it was really important for me to to have those moments too, because I mean, that is how I talk to my friends, um, you know, and my black friends, especially whenever we're like just hanging out. Um, we talk about uh, black Twitter, we talk about the latest, whatever song by this, this artist. Um, but then we also have those conversations like Nella and Malika have about the gap, um, about whether or not, you know, shopping there after they made that um, monkey hoodie and put a black boy in it um like all those kind of things those sticky kind of uh things that people are writing think pieces about all the time but actually i think lend themselves better to just conversations because they're even more nuanced i think than think pieces um and i think through nella and malika um i really wanted to show just how complex we are and also show what was at stake for nella too while she was on her journey through wagner books um you know is it worth is it all worth it is it worth well, I don't, I'm stumbling close to a spoiler, but <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I, I think another relationship that was so interesting in terms of the dynamics outside of the workplace was uh, Nella's relationship with her partner, Owen, who is a white man, their relationship dynamics. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me this one line, or I guess I'm paraphrasing here, where um, I remember you had said, you know, his only job here is to love her and to adore her. And I think that that is maybe similar in some ways to Malika, but also a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Um, Full disclaimer, my fiance is a white man. Um, And so, uh, you know, navigating that kind of space as a black woman, um, working through the things that Nella's working through at Wagner Books uh, with Malika on one hand and then Owen on the other hand, it's just one other space. Uh, Owen is this other space of just another way of how she can think of the world. I mean, Owen was raised by two uh, two women. Um, he's from <laughs> the Midwest um, and he has such a different outlook on the world than any of Nella's uh, Wagner books coworkers. So I also wanted to show <laughs> the, the nuances in white people too, because I, I don't think it's, I didn't want to make every white person in this book a villain. And I like to think that most of them aren't because I, I did want to make them complex because just limiting them, just uh, making them into this one dimensional kind of, you know, oh, they just don't get it. Um, that to me isn't as satisfying or as realistic as people being complicated. Um, and it also was just fun to show Nella's anxieties about her blackness um, and how it relates to her white partner because she wants to be this fully realized um, black, blackity black person um, in a lot of ways of being up on, on the lingo and having natural hair because that's what she didn't have for most of her young life. Um, but she also has a white boyfriend. And how does she reconcile those two things? Like, does that threaten or take away from her blackness? Of course it doesn't, but Nella is an overthinker and Nella's also, you know, witnessed what, (laughs) how people feel about interracial relationships. And she's constantly thinking about her blackness. And so Owen was just another way to, to look at that for me while writing. 
Absolutely. And I think that may be another place where that really comes up for me in terms of their relationship dynamics. And maybe even again, the comparison to Hazel is when we meet Hazel's boyfriend who kind of maybe first appears as maybe kind of like an enigma, you know, he's a little famous, um, maybe a lot famous, but could you maybe (laughs) describe a little bit of that comparison and that juxtaposition with Hazel's boyfriend? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, when when Hazel comes in, I mean, I mentioned, I think earlier, Nella has all of these kind of assumptions um, of who Hazel is, because she kind of figures, well, I've been doing this this way, I've been I've been able to get into these white spaces for so long, and I've been comfortable in them. And I know how I am. Every Black person who's also able to get into these spaces must similarly be doing the same thing. Um, And so she assumes that Hazel has um, a white boyfriend as well, because Nella has a white boyfriend. And then when she learns that, yeah, that Hazel's boyfriend is actually this cool (laughs) Dominican artist um, who wears like really cool suits, like (laughs) it definitely adds to her, first her intrigue that Hazel is is with this person who is so well known but then also um envy because she hasn't had that she hasn't been with a partner who she could actually really get into those conversations about what it was like to have brown skin what it's like to move through the world um at work constantly questioning yourself and she's able to have those conversations with Owen um as deeply as they can possibly get but she knows he will never truly 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 get it um and so knowing that Hazel has someone who does it it definitely makes Nella curious and also feel a little like huh Like, how'd you do that? Like, what am I, what am I doing differently here? Gosh, uh, absolutely. And, you know, I I think that another piece of this maybe is uh, the distinction between everyone's experiences and their location, you know, whether it's within the state of New York, other places that come up like the city of Boston, the state of Connecticut. Could you maybe speak more as to how Mm -hmm. these pieces of the map maybe fit together in people's stories? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was constantly thinking about, I mean, again, to, uh, saying earlier, the, these ideas of of branded Blackness and, and how those come to be, but also um, the ways in which, I mean, Blackness looks different in different states as well, in different regions. And so for Boston um, and Massachusetts, I have read a lot of things about what it's like to be a Black person in Boston and New England. Um, I mean, I've, I know Black people who have lived in Boston, and I know that they're um, not all, <laughs> I know it's not all um, the same, but I definitely have heard stories of how difficult it is, of racism, of, of blatant racism um, living in Boston. So I definitely wanted to comment on, on that kind of thing, and but also how there are people who haven't had bad experiences there as Black people. So what does that mean? There can be these two truths at the same time, right? Um, and then with Connecticut, uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut, like my character, um, and uh, Nella, uh, grew up in a suburb of New Haven, which um, I can say is 
quite diverse. There were plenty of Black people there, but she grew up in a suburb. So she was mostly around white people. Um, and that influenced a lot of who she became, who she, where she felt comfortable, um, what she did with her hair, how she relaxed it and, and straightened it instead of wearing it natural. So all of those things are things that uh, Nella carries around with her. Because I think that's another thing is that I do think, I mean, everybody's different, but I do think we carry around where we're from more than we realize sometimes. I know for me, um, I have a fondness for Connecticut, um, for New England myself. And I also know it's, it's definitely impacted the way that I view the world. And then Harlem, um, in contrast to, to Connecticut, where Nella's from, Hazel being from Harlem, New York, this kind of, uh, you know, beautiful, uh, culturally rich, Black uh, community in Harlem. She just has an entirely different outlook on life. And Nella thinks about herself um, in relation to that and kind of always imagines um, with Hazel, like what her life would have been like if she'd been raised in Harlem too. Um, how would that have changed her life of being around Black people, of seeing natural hair, hopefully at an earlier age, all of those things. And so I really had a lot of fun kind of moving around all of these uh, different uh, cities and, and regions, because I think a lot of that affects who we are and, and our conversations about race and, and politics. I feel like, you know, not only location, but also time. I think that was coming up for me as you were talking, is that there's a big piece of the book that maybe we haven't discussed a lot here is that there's a there's a portion yes. of it yeah that takes place in, in around the <laughs> 1983 time uh with other black women um that were I guess present then trying to not speak <laughs> to give spoilers um I sorry I made it really hard <laughs> I, it, it's the thriller it's the thriller aspect you know we gotta we gotta keep the mystery going here Yes, yes, definitely. Um, but what was it like, I guess, maybe doing research and, and writing about the, the 1983 storyline as opposed to the more present day storyline? It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I am a big, I mean, I went through a phase where I was obsessed with the eighties as a teenager, which is so random. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also thought it was interesting because the eighties was such a time of, I mean, as someone who was born in 1992, to me, when I think of the eighties, um, I mean, so many amazing uh, black works and black art were coming out in that time. I mean, we had, I mean, of course, the first thing I think of is the Cosby show, which Bill Cosby, like, yeah, very, won't go into all of that, but the show itself, what it represents and what it represented to the black community at the time of Claire Huxtable, um, a lawyer uh, with this family who is also, who dresses snazzily and, and speaks this way, all of those things, I mean, it's, it was revolutionary. Um, and then of course, like Toni Morrison, all of the work she, like, it's just, there's so much, it's such a rich time. So it was really fun to imagine Kendra Ray, um, and Diana, uh, an editor and author respectfully, um, respectively, sorry, <laughs> and respectfully, uh, <laughs> working on this book together, Burning Heart, um, because I could imagine something like that coming out, um, in that time. And, it also was important to me to have this time jump too, because for Nella, um, they are such a big part of 
why she's still at Wagner, why she even chose Wagner. Um, she looks back upon them because Kendra Ray, of course, edited the book at Wagner Books. Um, she looks back at them in that time as like this kind of glory days of publishing kind of thing. Um, and actually, when I first wrote the book, it was all through Nella's point of view. Um, I didn't have the other voices. And then after that, I was like, well, she doesn't know the whole story. Like she's romanticizing this. There's no way it would be that easy, right? Because we know that that's never that easy. History often kind of glosses over like the, the personal sacrifices, the day-to-day -day sacrifices that people make to get to where we are. And so I went back and I, I added those sections to really show um, all the nuances and the, all the fraught things about their relationship and how, how, how they ended up the way they ended up. <laughs> I so love that, that you brought up that, you know, first, first you wrote the whole book from Nella's perspective. I mean, number one, it's a great segue into my next question. <laughs> but also, <laughs> I knew, I knew. <laughs> I, you know, as I was reading, I was so intrigued. You know, there are four parts. There are multiple perspective. Um, there's a plot twist. There's kind of a, maybe like a genre twist, maybe like 60, 70% of the way through. I'm so intrigued. Where does the structure of the book, where did you start? And what was the journey like to get to its, I guess it's final evolution here in, in Pokemon terms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a journey that was. Um, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard um, because there was a lot of restructuring happening because there are, are so many parts. Um, like you said, there are so many characters and viewpoints and twists. I wanted to make sure that uh, the reader was getting information at a certain time in the most interesting way possible. Um, and like, if there were a computer where I could calculate that with like each plot point of like, oh, what is that way? Like I would have gotten that computer because I really wanted that. And um, it took a lot of reworking with my agents and my editor um, to really see like, what is the most effective way to tell this story? Um, and keep the reader still invested even after the twist, because that's another thing is like, you can have the twist, but then you want to keep people reading too and make them want to know more. And so finding that sweet spot was, was really hard. And I mean, I know for me, I've always been a reader of uh, stories that switch perspectives and timelines. So I think just having that in the back of my head of knowing writers who had done it, um, effectively and um I mean Toni Morrison's the first person that comes to mind um that for me was really useful too but I think the thing I would add also is like yeah writing Nella's story first and knowing all of the facts even if she didn't know all the facts that was really crucial to to creating the final product absolutely and you know since maybe you brought that up I'm I'm so curious since parts of Nella's story maybe resemble parts of your own, you know, how did you keep those separate in your brain as, as you were writing this? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty tricky too. I think the thing that I did, um, right off the bat that I didn't really think that much about, um, until looking back on it, I think, uh, is writing Nella sections in third person. I think maybe when I first sat down to write, I thought about doing it in first person, but like, if that thought happened, it was like, a breath. Like I didn't even realize that the thought happened because I, the third person just felt so right. 
Um, I didn't want to be super close. There are tons of details that are specific to mine. Um, and my parents are divorced. Um, I, like I said, I have a white partner, but there are things that are not similar. And a lot of the things that happen at Wagner books are not things that actually happened to me. So getting that balance was tricky, but making sure that I was writing it, um, not from first person and also just keeping in mind the specific uh, character um, and making even a character map uh, <laughs> where I saw all the things that were different in her that was really useful too. Absolutely. There are definitely parts of Nella's story that I'm very grateful did not happen to you yes. in, in real time. <laughs> Maybe some of the more horror yes. slash thriller aspects yes. of this going on. I was going to say, I was going to say. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, just, just kind of speaking of that, I love thrillers. I love horror. I love everything kind of in that genre. This is kind of how I started reading just personally. Um, fun fact about me, I used to have a booktube channel and I used to do a series called Thrillers and More Thursday. Um, but <gasps> maybe just like con to contextualize that, I started um, making videos in 2015 and it was mm -hmm. so hard to find thrillers in 2015 written and promoted by any authors of yes. color. You know, a lot of the ones that I would yes. find were self-published um, on Amazon mm -hmm. and I would have to buy them on my mm -hmm. Kindle, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was just wondering, as an author in maybe the contemporary horror thriller sphere, however you would <laughs> quantify this, <laughs> do, do you think that this genre is similar to others in publishing in terms of how they treat Black authors, or do you think there are some differences? You know, it's hard for me to say um, because when I was working in publishing, I wasn't uh, where I worked, we weren't necessarily uh, working on thrillers. So I didn't have as much of a um, kind of sense of what, I mean, I had a general sense of what, what was happening, but um, not so much about what was happening in the thriller genre. Um, but I will say, I mean, just in general, I don't feel like books by Black American authors were really getting bought or talked about or as buzzed about as other books. Um, and this is like across the board, um, unless it was a memoir um, or a celebrity. Um, I do, I think that the support wasn't as much, but I do think, um, and I'm not sure if this answers your question, but I do think that there has been just in the last, I mean, since 2015, we've had Get Out, we've had Us, we've had Lovecraft Country, um, which of course was a book before, but now it's I mean, a show. I, I do think actually like visibility of Black people in thrillers has increased um, in a lot of ways because of TV and film. Um, and yeah, I mean, now there are so many writers um, so many thriller writers, black thriller writers who I am hearing about. And I'm not sure how much of that is just me being kind of tuned now, of course. And now I'm on Twitter, which I wasn't before um, as much. Uh, just like S.A. Cosby, Wanda Morris, um, so many out there. Um, and my hope is that there'll just be more and more. Absolutely. That totally, again, it's a great segue into my next question. And my next question was, what are some like <laughs> recommendations would you make for readers who enjoy The Other Black Girl? Yeah, I mean, I would say Wanda uh, Morris's book, All Her Little Secrets, which isn't coming out till November um, in the U.S. I'm not sure about abroad yet, um, but that is such a fun thriller. Uh, a young Black woman um, who is uh, an attorney finds her 
boss, uh, a white man, um, dead in his office and runs. Um, <laughs> that's all I'll say, but it, it is a page turner. It's very exciting and just fun to see a, a black female protagonist, um, in that space. Um, and gosh, my reading these days is not as great, <laughs> but I mean, for me, actually, this isn't a current book, but Passing by Nella Larson definitely inspired my characters. Um, it's not a horror movie, but I think it's definitely a social thriller. Um, it's about two Black women who are both presenting or able to present as white women. Um, and there is drama, there is subtext, there are a lot of things that are unsaid. So I often say that I mean, passing definitely influenced me while writing. Um, so I, I recommend that. Um, yeah, I know there are a bunch that I'm thinking. I'm looking at my uh, my bookcase <laughs> right now, but those are those are a few that stand out to me. Awesome, sounds good. I feel like I have an arc of that first book sitting on my shelf. I remember the title, and I remember putting it on my TBR. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. so familiar. You gotta read it. You gotta read it. It's so fun. I also just love like the cover and the packaging. Um, the the packaging. Listen, listen to me, publishing <laughs> person at heart. The publishing is showing. <laughs> it's showing. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. Um, maybe my last question here before we wrap up is: What is coming next for you? Ooh, yes. Um, well, I'm working on the TV adaptation yes, yes. of the show um, with Rashida Jones for Hulu. So that's. That has been a lot of fun um, and a lot of work learning that world um, from scratch. So, so keep an eye out. Hopefully, you know, who knows timeline, the world, everything is happening at once, but um, that'll be really fun. Uh, And I am also just thinking about my next book, you know, just kind of jotting things down every now and then playing with ideas um, because I am really excited to, to work on the new thing. It'll just be, it'll feel really great to get back to the thing that kind of started this all. I am beyond excited for your next book, whenever, whatever that may be, <laughs> you know, hopefully maybe Thank the next you. time you visit the restroom, inspiration will strike yes. again and it'll all just, it'll all just happen. I know. I'll just hang out, you know, at my old job. <laughs> Waiting for inspiration to strike, you know. Some, inspiration. <laughs> someone else to yes. come in with a work badge and, and maybe another story will bloom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think the universe will, I think the universe will deliver this. We'll, we'll put it out there. <laughs> they, they call it manifesting, I hear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that about wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. And that's our show. I'd like to thank Zakia Dalila Harris for talking with me about The Other Black Girl, which is out now from Atria Books. You can find her at ZakiaDalilaHarris.com and on Instagram at Harris and on Twitter at Zakia underscore Harris. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. This episode was produced by me, Joss, and edited by Kendra Winchester. Our music is by Miki Saito with Isaac Green. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thank you so much for listening. 